0: Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey friends, what's up? It's your girl Kate here, and we are in the middle of season 10, our sex season, okay? It has been getting hot and spicy, and you guys have been, from what I've been hearing, really loving it, except for one or two controversial posts that I've posted on Instagram. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go and check it out on my account at Kateness. All right, guys, today's episode is such a treat because we got to have on two guests that we have just been dying to connect with with and talked to, and so it was truly such an honor and a privilege. We had Judah and Chelsea Smith on the show, and what I want to tell you right now is that Judah and Chesley came in so humble seriously so humble as leaders. Me and JJ were honestly floored by their humility, by their grace, by their kindness, and by their empathy for singles, specifically singles that have been poorly affected by the purity culture. And so I am just so excited for you guys to hear this conversation today because we really talk about what to do post-purity culture and how leaders, Christian leaders, should be addressing this right now for their communities. And so As Christian leaders of massive communities, uh, Chelsea and Judah share their hearts and what it's looked like for them and what they've learned along the way. It is so powerful. If you don't know who they are, first of all, maybe you're living under a rock. That's okay. I'm going to tell you who they are and you need to connect with Judah and Chelsea. They're doing incredible things. Chelsea Smith and her husband, Judah, lead Church Home, a vibrant community with multiple locations and a worldwide app. A gifted pastor and speaker, Chelsea is passionate about the message of Jesus. Her ministry is noted for down-to-earth wisdom, authenticity, and strong faith. Now, Judah is a lead pastor of Church Home, formerly called The City Church. He's noted for its cultural relevance, commitment to biblical integrity, and love for Jesus. Church Home is a thriving community with multiple locations and a global app. Judah is known around the world for his preaching ministry. His fresh, anointed, humorous messages demystify the Bible and make Christianity real. Judah is also the author of the New York Times best selling book, Jesus Is. Chelsea and Judah have three children Zion, Elliot, and Grace. Okay, guys. It's such a good conversation. I can't wait to get in. You guys are just going to love it. They have some beautiful preaching moments. JJ got some amazing preaching moments. I end up being incredibly vulnerable in this episode as well. And so if you have ever been poorly affected by purity culture, and if it, if you really want to hear some leaders kind of apologize for what purity culture has done and even their part in it, this episode is going to be for you. And I really believe that it's going to be so deeply healing. So, without further ado, let's get into this episode today with Judah and Chelsea Smith. Well, we got Judah and Chelsea Smith on the podcast today. What's up, you guys? Man, <laughs> so, excited to, so, be so here.
1: excited to be here. And, and uh, thanks for. Thanks for doing this podcast. It means a lot to a lot of people, so we're excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. Well, we are so excited, and this is going to be fun because we just told you in the pre-call, you know, we're in a series on sex, and uh, it's sex but for singles, where singles are not being shoved out of the room, and we're... Allowing them into this space of having healthy dialogue around this topic because they really do need to know what the real deal is. And many of our listeners uh, have grew up in the purity culture movement. And, you know, myself included on a previous episode, I talked about how in high school I had a boyfriend. And as soon as our Bible group leader found out I had this boyfriend, He was like, oh, no, 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 like you guys, you need approval before you get into a relationship. So he brought us into his office and he – like into his office, right? And he gave us a list of all these different rules that we had to adhere to in order to date. Things like you have to sit – 1 foot apart at all times and you can never use a blanket and only never hold only hold hands on occasion and definitely no kissing and only date in groups and we were like encouraged to sign this thing and on top of that they were like also if you want to date you have to meet with us basically every week and do premarital counseling this was in high school and I was 16 years old. Okay. So
2: <sighs> you're you're, you're blowing my mind. Cause I feel like I would have guessed that you were too young to have experienced this. What year was this?
0: Oh my gosh. This was in about, that's a great question. I'm like dating myself right now. It's like 2004. Okay. But I'm 33. So, but thank you. That's
1: intense, man.
0: It's, it's cray cray out there.
1: After in every way. He was so right. He was so right. One foot. Like we're really uh, big on the one foot, even like, for married couple. He, Kidding. the
2: reality: is we were youth <laughs> pastors for a lot of years, and we yeah. were not that extreme. Like we didn't quite go to Uh-oh. that level, I will say. But Uh-oh. we carried a lot of that in our DNA as youth pastors. I have to like confess it before I before we mock it. <laughs> hopefully, we mock some of that, but we have to say we had if you were a leader and you were going to date somebody you kind of needed approval from we us met well. We met well we met well but yeah. yeah we we did some of those crazy things and to anybody who's listening who we did some of those things for just take this as your official apology and will you forgive us Super because, sorry, yeah. man.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well i think we can all agree it was it was great intention Just pretty poor execution, right? Mm -hmm. Because right off the bat, we just established a super legalistic checkbox approach to our sexual nature and our sexual ethic. And I think to set the foundation of, of this episode for the listeners... And what we told Judah and Chelsea in the pre-call is like, this is not the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, right? It's not a hit piece on youth pastors and dogging them. And what I love about your guys' story is you two are from multi-generational families of ministers. Mm. And... I think you guys share the same passion that we do, which is to love, pray for, and edify the church. Yeah. And the challenging part of love, true love for something, is the accountability mm. and learning from mistakes, including the church, right? So as two members of the church and two leaders of the church who grew up with the purity culture movement, how do church leaders and how does the church like look back to this purity culture movement? Like, How do we speak to it? How do we learn from growing? from looking at it?
2: Wow, well, thanks for starting yeah. with the easy
3: question.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just go right in on hard of Dating Podcast here.
3: You want
1: me to jump in or yeah, you want to jump in? Yeah. I, think, I think it's actually, uh, I think it's got complicated. I think the complication oftentimes is indication and evidence of probably the traditions of men and the uh, the collusion, if you will, of kind of what we perceive to be how we currently in our modern age define purity and, and and you know the church has always kind of been known for this we've done our best there's these iterations and cycles and series and seasons and segments of the church that that we go through and 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 we can all get on you know our certain platforms and kind of get all worked up about it and get angry Uh, Or you can kind of just do your homework, look at church history and recognize that these iterations have come and gone and we just keep moving and we keep growing and we keep learning. Humility is essential because we're all going to have to be learners and listeners if we're going to continue to progress and grow. But the bottom line is this for me when it comes to the subject of sexual purity, sexual integrity, being truly who you are, uh, being sexually alive, being sexually whole, being sexually healthy, sexually active, you know, all these different terms. Um, you know, is this more about Jesus or is this more about us? And and I know that sounds very uh, how should I say trite. But, but, but it's actually really true. What ended up happening in, in, in my case and in my leadership and my journey is uh, purity became the point and not Jesus. Totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sexual morality, my moral high ground became the impetus. It became the focus. It became the main theme. And um, that's just out of order. And that's just disproportionate. And the point is Jesus, right? And lo- living, loving and looking like Jesus and uh, how do we go about doing that? And I think that's probably the question that's going to fit better to, in today's culture is instead of going sexual purity, you know, that <laughs> that, that even that connotation, particularly amongst our, our our age group is like, whoa, that little heavy handed there. Um, but but this idea of like, how do we live like Jesus? And I think um, sexual integrity and purity. Uh, has a lot to do with the direct result of your infatuation and admiration and adoration for Jesus. Just looking mm-hmm. at Jesus, wanting to be, wanting to live a life for Jesus, and be grateful to Jesus, and understanding that um, the members of your body um, can also uh, fall in line and 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 follow Jesus.
2: Yeah, I I so agree that if purity is the point. That's the problem. Jesus has to be the point. Yeah. And I look back on those days. So we grew up in would you um in that culture? And we were like super virgins when we got married, but then we perpetuated that oh, with our first
3: super virgin. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I <laughs> super
2: virgin. I've never heard that. <laughs> super <laughs> like this. This is like a new
3: I had
1: like no. Like I thought about level. it a lot, but I had not done seen,
2: it. I had never seen a naked man. So when I say super virgins, I
1: had never seen a fully naked woman.
2: Yeah. So like we were wow. definitely like I could. Yeah, we were super virgins. But uh, the
3: point, <laughs> super <the> point, pure.
2: So <laughs> we grew up in that. And then we we <laughs> did put that onto the people who we were leading in our young yep. ministry life. And yep. I when I look back on that, I think, man, the tools that we were using to, to have motivate or manipulate students and young people at the time were tools of fear of hey if you don't That's live right. this purity life then maybe you'll get this std or maybe you won't have a sexually mm-hmm. fulfilled marriage. you know these tools of fear tools of shame we were really good at you know like not outright shame because we knew too much biblically but like sideward glances of shame you know just subtle instances of shame to manipulate and motivate. And the thing is, fear and shame really can change our behavior. Our behavior can be changed and behavioral scientists will tell you this. And it is the fastest way to actually quick term change is to use fear and shame. If you want to get somebody to change quickly, pain, shame, and fear are the quickest way that we can modify behavior. But what we realized (laughs) in our ministry life was that may that may have got quick behavioral changes, but it wasn't lasting change.
3: Right. And as
2: soon as that shame left or that fear wasn't a motivator anymore, who really had a heart or motivation to live in a life of purity? And thinking about Jesus, I love the verse in Romans 15 that says the kingdom of God and where Jesus reigns, it is a place of righteousness that we don't earn from Jesus. Mm-hmm. It is a place from peace. And it is a place of joy. And in all of our leading and our motivational tools and tactics, if we're you, if we aren't using righteousness, peace, and joy, then I don't believe that the motivation comes from God because it is not in the domain in the realm of how Jesus functions and operates. And so really yeah. you talked about the lessons that we learned. I look back on those days and think, man, I don't ever want to use shame and fear to manipulate and motivate behavioral that mm-hmm. make us make might make us look good and might make people feel good, but it's not actually bringing people to Jesus. I mean,
1: Kate and JJ, we could go on and on about this because we're so passionate about it. But I think in the same way, parents have to remove their ego from parenting, meaning parenting is not about the parents. It's about the children. And it's not about making the parents look good. We made a determination early on. We've been parents now for almost 19 years that we weren't going to discipline our kids because they made us look bad. And I think when it comes to leadership in the church, oftentimes this moral high ground that we seek, this upper echelon of deep, profound morality, we think is going to make the preacher, the minister or the leader or the youth group leader look elite. And, and by the way, this whole discipleship discussion has been going on for millennia, which is this idea like, what well, are you making true disciples? Because we're making true disciples. Come look at our kids. They never go under a blanket. They're always one foot apart. They only hold hands. They never kiss. Like this is real stuff. They don't cuss. They don't use tobacco. Right. And that was all these markers which gave us very quick feedback. Right. We wanted quick feedback and we wanted as ministers and leaders to show the world that we're elite that we're different, that we're better. But the truth is the, the overemphasis of scripture in the New Testament is actually not moral high ground. It's not tobacco. It's not cursing and cussing. All that is somewhat in there to an extent. It's all about love and forgiveness and mercy and deference and learning and humility. So I think there are elements, we've gotten a little bit disproportionate, We have traded in um, the eternal, long-lasting life change that Jesus does on the inside Mm -hmm. and changed it for you can't wear certain clothes, you can't use certain words, you can't smoke certain stuff, and you can't touch certain body parts. And I think that is such a short-sighted approach to becoming like Jesus.
0: Wow, that's so good. Wow, and you know, the thing is like what you guys are saying now is exactly what so many people needed to hear, but they of course didn't. Mm-hmm. And so the reality is most of our listeners to be honest are they're the average age is in the 30s. And so th- these people are people that grew up in the heart just like me of purity culture and experienced teachings and what we've talked about before is and you guys kind of touched on it, is they either landed on one or two sides of the spectrum. One spectrum being they heard the purity culture teachings and then they were like, okay, I if I do anything, I will get chlamydia and die, right? And so I'm not going to do anything and I'm going to like, I can't even like, like semi-touch some uh, somebody of the opposite gender because, oh my gosh, like something may happen. And so it's like, I can't even look at them. I can't. And so they're completely disassociated almost in ways from their body, from their sexual desire, from what God has so beautifully crafted, which is from God and a beautiful, amazing thing. And so those individuals, are listening to this podcast, they may get married one day. And then we've seen this, I know you guys have seen this, where somebody of that nature or who had those teachings gets married and then all of a sudden, I I don't even know how to engage Mm -hmm. and connect with my body and this desire because I've been told for my whole life, this thing is bad. And, but then you have on the other side, somebody like me um, who heard all these teachings, like I said earlier, and I still engaged and I still had um, so many different instances of sexual activity. And what I was left with was so much shame and also was shunned by my community and other people who found out and who was like, oh, you're bad. Oh, you are labeled damaged goods now. And then as I've healed, coming into dating before JJ, I would date people and though I went through a journey of healing I would find people who were on the other side of the spectrum who were like oh wait you you have a sexual past like I can't be with you I always thought I would only marry a virgin so I I say all that I know it's convoluted but You have all these people, one, who who maybe heard the side of the purity culture teaching and have stuck to it, but now feel like confused, maybe disconnected from their sexual desire, don't know what to make of that, don't know how to figure that out before marriage. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other side, somebody like me, who has a past and... Maybe was told like, "Oh, because of your past, you're now broken goods," or you're less than." or, um, you know, you have to do so much repentance to get back to this whole place of pure holiness and true purity. And so I just would say, for you guys, have you witnessed this in your church culture, and how do we start healing what was done to the people who land in these two camps? Mm, great question. Yeah, I love
2: that question. It's interesting what you talked about is literally using fear on one spectrum and yeah. shame on the other. So. Yeah, exactly. I think first everything that we do as followers of Jesus has to start with the way that we see God and the way that we see Jesus. Mm, wow. And you know, so much is made of the word repent. And depending on your theological or church background, you hear repent and immediately you think, okay, uh, for for us growing up in youth group, it was a 180, like make a 180 change. You know, you got to turn completely around. That was our definition when we were kids. I don't know what yours was. But if you actually study the original language, the word repent, when Jesus, the first word that Jesus said, both in Matthew and I think it was in Mark and two of the gospels, the first word out of the mouth of Jesus was repent, Mm. but it actually means change your mind. And specifically, what God was saying, He said, "Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is here." What He was saying is, change the way that you see God. Jesus showed up, who Colossians tells us He was fully God, fully man, the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. So, whatever you need to see about, whatever you need to know about God, you can see in Jesus. So, here Jesus shows up, and He says, basically, "Hey, I am here so that you can change the way that you see God." And so, when you talk about healing and how do we bring healing and i love that question because there are people who were scarred who have been burned i know for us one of the heroes of the purity movement uh finally just just recently renounced his faith and said hey i thought purity was going to get me all of these good things and it mm-hmm. didn't i don't even know if i believe in god which is i, I think happening to a lot of people and a lot of your yes. friends that is a a horrible sad reality mm of that movement. And so how do we bring about healing? It has to start by changing the way we see God. We have mm-hmm. to see Jesus for who he really is. And it says in John that Jesus came full of grace and truth. But then it says, and then he came with grace upon grace that we have to look into the loving eyes of Jesus to see he loves us. He believes us. He accepts us. He is full mercy, he's full of mercies, full of truth. He's full of grace. Yes. And to see, I am his beloved and The fa- words of the father to, sorry, I'm giving so much scripture, but words of the father to it. Jesus when he was baptized before he did anything was, Hey, you are my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased period. And Jesus had done a single, even miracle at that point. And so for us, because we accept Jesus and we follow him and Mm -hmm. the Bible says we're hidden in Christ. That means that whatever your sexual experience has been for good or for bad, Jesus looks at you and He said, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased, period, Mm -hmm. full stop, no exception. Mm -hmm. And we've got to realize that the love and the pleasure and the acceptance that God has in us has nothing to do with our performance, whether sexually or not, that it is just, he loves us because of who he is. And I think that's where any true healing for this has to start and begin.
1: Has to start. And, you know, there's so much scripture and and and, and content in the New Testament that speaks to uh, quite a different way. I mean, you know, the scripture, I think Colossians calls it the better way. And it's the way of Jesus and the way of Jesus Arguably, the greatest revelation on New Testament, New Covenant worship in all of the scripture was a conversation Jesus had with a five time divorcee with a sixth man live in boyfriend. And Jesus said that the the hour has come. And he he literally I mean, this is anyone who understands his research and study on worship. If you're going to do study on worship, you are going to run in. John four. To the, to John chapter four. Chelsea remembers the references. I never do. Sometimes <laughs> I remember the book they're in. But like you, you're going to have to go through John four and you're going to have to sit there for a moment and go, you mean that the risen, sorry. He wasn't risen at that point. But you mean the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, the greatest worship revelation he ever communicated on his earthly ministry was to a woman who is a relational, sexual nightmare and train wreck by all cultural standards. And Jesus never shamed her. Gave her hope. And I can prove it because he says, remember, and a lot of preachers do this. They say, Well, Jesus said, you know, you've had five husbands, the six you're with isn't your husband. And preachers like to take that, don't they? JJ and Kate. And they say, like, see, we got to tell people the truth. Yeah. But wait a minute. This woman runs back into the town and says, Come see a man who's told me everything there is to know about me. But wait a minute, that's not true. He didn't tell her everything. But, what she's saying is, "Come see a man who made me feel so seen, yeah. who made me feel so loved, who yeah. made me feel so accepted, who told me the truth about my sexual escapades, but he he's there's no there's no fear, there's no shame. And come see him, she said. She became an evangelist for Jesus, who was calling out her sexual immorality. Yeah, so we've got to change our whole tone and our whole approach. To match Jesus. Where is the purity preaching? Where is the sexual health preaching that leads people who are so bound in this area to, to feel like, man, you guys gotta come hear this? It's the best news I've ever heard. And yes. I think that is so much of the spirit and the bride and what God's doing in terms of um what his what his uh, approach and tone does to the human soul. And I think when it comes to preachers, oftentimes, and now I'm picking on preachers, we are really, really good at like the the actual nuanced content, but we say it with the wrong tone. We say it with the wrong view. We say it from uh, 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 a high ground rather than the level ground where all humanity is. And Jesus took on the form of a man humbled himself and came to our level. And for any preacher, teacher, leader, lover, podcaster out there, who wants to help people in the area of sexuality, we've all got to get low, get on the ground together and say, guess what? We are all nightmares. We're all damaged goods. We're all fall short. We're all not well. We're all broken sexually. But there's a king. There's a superhero. There's a savior. He can set us free. He knows everything there is to know about us. Come see him because he will do for you what you could never do for yourself. It's 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 thrilling. This whole topic is, is exhilarating to me.
0: I love it. I'm like exhilarating. I'm like, I'm sweating over here. I'm like <laughs> getting excited because this is exactly, I mean, what you guys are saying and I hope and I just pray, I, we're so excited for every person to hear this because this is the kind of healing introduction so many people need. And I mm-hmm. know there are people listening that are already on that journey and yet they're still like, okay, how do I fully grasp this? And then- transform this so that when I come to hopefully, if God willing, one day getting married, what do, like, how do I start renewing from this point forward? And that's kind of my question for you guys. Like what you're saying is so beautiful, so amazing, so true, like so the character of God. And yet there are so many people who are like okay now now how do i move forward and actually start enacting this like for example i'll just bring back a little bit of the example i shared earlier so for me with my sexual past i started on this healing journey realizing wow so many of the things i was sh- like shared and taught like this brought me so much shame and first fear and then shame because I actually did engage and I had to go rewiring all those things to come back to how God truly sees me in so mm-hmm. much love and so much kindness and so much mercy and and so then I got to like truly understand that for myself but then I started dating again and I started engaging with people who were like once they heard my story in my past, they realized or they would say like, oh, you are you seem great on the outside, but that's not what I pictured for my life. And um, actually, I always thought I would be with someone who was a virgin because, again, they're coming with the mentality of that's what they've envisioned and desired and put on a pedestal for their whole lives. So how do we like continue this healing journey in this realm where dating is so complicated and you have so many people that really do put their sexual past or lack thereof on a pedestal. And that is because what you're saying to Judah, like we, we all have to level the playing field, but somehow in this world of sexuality and we talk about sexual desire or sexual brokenness, sexual sin, it's on this. It's like the one thing that's above everything else, right? You have people who are gossiping, cussing, slandering, but then, no, that's no comparison apparently right. uh, to anything to do with sexuality or sexual desire. It's like, oh, you did that? Or that's your past? Woo, no, we can't, we can't engage with you. Oh, but then they're over here gossiping and cussing and doing all these other things, right? So man, I guess what is the journey that somebody needs to start taking? Like what's their next steps? How do they start fu- c- clinging to hope in this area of dating that feels so convoluted?
2: I, I cannot imagine how painful that must have been for you. First of all, as you're telling that story and you tell it now with so much ease and lightness, I think because you have had so much healing, but I'm just listening, just imagining what that really would have been like for you to be written off because of a sexual past. Uh, for I, I just, my heart breaks for you and for anybody else who would experience that because that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the God way. And it, I, I I don't have an answer right away except to just say I'm sorry that that's happened and I'm sorry that a church culture has been created that that would be okay
1: mm.
2: that we could speak to one another that way and treat one another that way um, looking in first Peter is really this the book of the Bible where it is repeated be holy because I am holy right. And then if you, and so we all, for me growing up in church, holiness was all of those things that purity culture, the clothes that we wore, the music we didn't listen to the movies we didn't watch that was holiness. But if you go and look and study the book of first and second Peter, actually holiness is defined by how, how well we love each other, how well we forgive each other, how well we accept each other. And Mm -hmm. it's so crazy to me that in your experience, somebody thought I'm looking for somebody who is Holy, but yet they were treating you with a complete and utter lack of holiness because they weren't treating you with love and redemption and forgiveness. And so, from a from a leader pastoral standpoint, I really we have to redefine holy and we have to get back what the biblical definition of holiness is, and treating everybody with love and deference and forgiveness, and not a pedestal that we put ourselves on because um we think our actions are done. Because here's what those men were saying to you: they were saying. I have made myself better because of my purity actions. I'm doing air quotes. People can't see people are saying, and I want somebody else who is better like me. Mm-hmm. And that is to me, the opposite of the ways and the teachings of Jesus. What's that verse you probably know where it says, Hey, we have these rules that say, do not touch, do not eat, mm-hmm. eat, do not taste. And it says right. those are of no, no value, value of fighting against our, our, the wrongful desires. Mm-hmm. of our flesh. No value. Yeah. I mean, can you believe the Bible says that? Do not eat those those rules. Not touch, those, the, not touch, yeah. It's a, of no value, but yet we think those are of the value that make us better than other people, and that is just not the way of Jesus.
1: And and, and 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 that's such an interesting perspective too because it furthermore the scripture discusses how sexual sin is unlike any other because it's this direct sin against your body and it's very unique and its effects i think what the new testament speaking to is this idea of its effects can be very unique and very damaging yeah. and very very intimately kind of combustible you know inside just yes. like oh, you're just getting eaten alive with shame and guilt and fear and worry and anxiety um but but I think it's important for us to talk about, too, the orientation of the universe and how God made it all. Uh, yeah. For instance, there is this m- very pervasive concept in culture, which is this earning and deserving. And And I'll tell you, it's very easy. We oh. talked about this last night at my best friend's birthday party. Um, a lot of people are like earning deserving. That's not prevalent. Uh, yeah, it is. Listen, listen closely to the culture. They'll say stuff. Bro, you earned this, bro. Right. You deserve this day off.
2: You worked hard. bro. You
1: work, You deserve this. Vacation. Right. Bro, I love this house, bro. You deserve yeah. it. You've been working. And I, here, here's my only rebuttal. So how far will we take this? Are we going to start saying that I earned October 9th, 1978 in Portland, Oregon? Did I earn my birth? Did I do that? Did I earn my hair? Did I earn my eyesight? Mm. A lot of people are born without eyesight. Did I earn my hearing? Did I earn my teeth? I mean, where do we stop with this? Do I earn my car? Did I earn my carpet? Did I earn the... I mean, it just... if if There is no end to this um, pervasive yet... Profoundly broken concept. And and I think we take, we play partner to the culture and we take the same concept with morality. And basically, Kate, what those men were saying to you is I deserve a virgin. Mm -hmm. I have earned the right to say to you, no, thank you. I have a standard. And that was perpetuated, whether we intended to or not, we perpetuated arrogance. We perpetuated self-sufficiency. And in my records show, Jesus tore up the synagogue twice. It is his most um, emotional outburst we see short of the cross. Mm -hmm. He literally tears up the synagogue. And we got to ask ourselves, why is Jesus flipping tables? Why is he opening bird cages? Why is he yelling at people? You've made my father's house a den of thieves. Why? It's very simple. Jesus was saying, you are keeping everyday people from the father. And that's not how the father's house works. I have come to usher in a new era. Everyone is welcome at the father's house because the son is going to make a way to the father. And so we're going to eliminate. If you don't have enough money, you couldn't sacrifice at the synagogue. If you didn't have the right kind of animal, you couldn't sacrifice at the synagogue. If you weren't the right culture or background or had the right connections to the rabbis, you couldn't sacrifice in the synagogue. And Jesus came to set the record straight and say, everyone, whosoever comes shall be saved. And when it comes to sexual purity, we have, once again, we've got to get our worldview straight. Is this earning, deserving, and warranting? Is this do good, get good? Yeah. Or is this the gospel where you do bad and you still get good? And I can honestly say, looking at you, Kate and JJ, it is but the grace and mercy of God. Remember, in Jesus, grace and mercy have kissed, right? So mercy is mm-hmm. is Uh, getting what you not getting what you do deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve. And those two things, kiss in Jesus. And now Chelsea and I have a marriage of 23 years and I didn't earn this. I didn't deserve this. I don't deserve this woman. It is but by the grace and mercy of God. And that's the story we got to tell to the world because we are unlike any other world religion. Ours is predicated on gift and grace, not earning deserving and warranting and until we allow that to be very very uh pervasive in the purity culture we are going to continue to steer people toward arrogance self-sufficiency and moral high ground which has perpetuated a lot of the community breakdowns in our culture even division racism bigotry all these things are moral high grounds
0: I just want to make this comment cuz with the deserving, the earning and deserving and we've talked about this on the podcast because this is a podcast for many singles and dating it is even the concept of people as singles like I have waited well this long I have done it xyz mm-hmm. and now I deserve or I earn and you see it so much the the girl finally gets the guy you deserve that man you deserve right it's like and I've like looked at my, I've had to do a hard look at myself of how I used to talk even on social media or on the podcast of like deserving of like you deserve that. And what is that really like? What? And, but th- that is also a concept that for singles uh, related to more than just sexuality, but like I've done all the things, God. I'm here. 35. I deserve this thing at this point in my life. You know
3: what we call it? And I'm sure it, it applies to everywhere in our life. It's we've made deals with God. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we made we made handshakes with God that it was a one-way communication, and we didn't care to hear what the other side said. Right, and all it does is just set us up for the arrogance. And then two, when things don't go the way we plan, disappointment. Mm. Right, it's just it's just dwelling in disappointment in my singleness, yeah, in my marriage, in my career, in my sex life, in my spiritual life every area of our life is just filled with disappointment because it goes i love how the foundation of the episode was laid chelsea because it strictly comes down to how do we view god
1: Mm.
3: how do we view his will how do we view his covering and this earn and deserve as christians we should lead with one thing come on thank god i do not get what i deserve Mm -hmm. and if i wish our leaders from the pulpit would just say hey thank god you guys don't know everything that goes on Mm -hmm. because you probably wouldn't be in this church right now thank god right and that's like as we talk to the youth or children or our people it's thank god Mm because i didn't do a single thing to deserve this and that's the upside down right earn and deserve oh i deserve If you want to talk about what I deserve, let me give you a couple hours and we'll go through it because you're gonna need to strap up. And that's that's the one thing, like the one guy second to Jesus who knew God's word better than anyone, and then experienced the grace and forgiveness is calling himself the chief of sinners Mm. and leads that conversation. And you know, Tim Keller has a great sermon about repentance, but one of the forethoughts is this is like, how could I ever? Right, exude my uh, righteousness and my position when Christ, who had every reason in front of the Pharisees, catching the adulteress red-handed, mm. forfeited every right. He had every right and he forfeited them. How could I ever begin to step up in this situation and exude any authority, right, right to cast judgment? Mm. And so, I think when it comes to dating. And then the sexual ethic and even the marriage and the, your sexual life together is just filled right with all these misconceptions and frankly, just lies of how we view God.
0: I have another point, actually a question, because that, that, this brings up something for me, babe. That was so good. Um, you know. I love what we're talking about in terms of like, hey, let's let's really break down and break the truth of like how God sees us, like mm-hmm. how the maker of the universe sees us and how he sees any of our sexual brokenness. And with that being said, I, I want to ask you guys as leaders, uh, you know, and you guys lead so many people so beautifully. There is one element where people might hear this and they're like, great, like awesome. There's so much grace. There's so much mercy. And how do we find the balance of, okay, with that grace and mercy, I'm not just going to go and keep messing up and me- messing up in terms of like, oh, but use it as that hall pass, right? So like, oh, but, oh, I, I made out with my boyfriend and we crossed boundaries and now like, but it's okay. Everything's fine and we're good because this is the other side that I've seen. So I used to be in a church community where I started seeing like over and over and over We would all, like, have these moments of talking about what we were trying to do and get Mm -hmm. accountable together. But then we'd go to this church party. There'd be maybe a little too much drinking. And everyone at the end of the night would start making out with each other. And then the next day, we'd all confess it to one another and be like, oh, so, like, I made out with this guy. And the other person would be like, it's okay. I did the same. We'll just do better next time. And yet... (laughs) Nothing really changes, right? And then it happens the next week and the next week. So I guess it's like, how do we still have a sense of what you guys were talking about earlier, holiness? Like, what do we, how do we embrace that in such a way without the shame, without the fear, but still walk that out in a way that's honoring to God, that has a true deep sense of knowing why I'm doing this? That is more than just, oh, my preacher told me to. You know what I mean?
2: Yep, I mean, I'll give you the Bible answer first, and then you'll say something really profound, probably.
0: Well, hopefully,
1: find <laughs> the Bible answer too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, you're doing complete heresy. now. <laughs> <laughs> you know our goal. Our goal as followers of Jesus is we as we follow Him daily, and then that we look more and more like Him. Romans what Romans eight says that we are predestined for one thing, and that is to be transformed into mm-hmm. the image of Jesus. That mm-hmm. our goal. Purity isn't our goal, although that's a byproduct. You know, all these other things aren't our goal. They're our byproduct of the goal, is looking more and more like Jesus, being transformed into his image. And there's another verse that says, as we look at him, as we see him for who he really is, we gaze on his image. And as we look at him, we start to, as we look at him, we start to look like him. Mm-hmm. And it's this mysterious process and i have to say there has to be an element of mystery involved that i can't understand how we can look at the loving merciful gracious god who has the highest standards of the earth and as we just look at him and gaze on him and think about him and read his word and talk to our our christian friends not all just about our purity but about how amazing jesus is and how much he loves us and how grateful we are for him that there is this mysterious beautiful process that we begin to look like him And it's not fast and it's not overnight. And I think here's what the church needs to get. Romans chapter two says that after Romans one, that lists all, you know, things that are wrong and ways that we miss the mark, all of a sudden it gets to Romans chapter two. And it says, but don't you know that it is the goodness and long suffering of God that leads us to repentance, that leads us to transformation, that leads us to see him differently. And I think in our church communities, we need to be willing if God is long suffering with us, yeah. if God is patient with us, yeah. that we need to be long suffering and patient with each other and mm-hmm. let this mysterious process take place that's full of faith and love and mystery instead of shame and guilt and behavioral modification. Yep. And that
1: that's a, Do we actually
2: have faith for that? As followers of Jesus, we believe in this big, incredible, magnanimous God. Do we actually believe that that process can take place simply by looking at him and relishing in his love? And
1: yeah,
2: it's a question that we have to answer for ourselves. As-
1: yeah, I, I just, I think that that is so full and robust and and and, and the perfect answer. I think there's a uh, it's not metaphor. It's a real story. But Paul and Silas in the prison, you know, they're in that inner dungeon in, in Acts 16 or something. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they're they're most likely in sewage up to their waist and, and all this. And they they do something that's very unusual. And I think it's it speaks to 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 where the believers should be again. And, and that is when you're up to your waist uh, in waste, um, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Uh, and there is so much. Uh, convoluted view of sex and sexuality. Uh, We're all confused to an extent, you know, but by the grace of God. And I I think I will only add one caveat, and that is that the dynamic of community, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart with one another, uh, this idea of you know, it's singing. But last night at this birthday party, we just all sat around the kitchen, about 20 of us, and we're just talking about rest in Jesus and his love and his goodness. Uh, I think we like to have prayer meetings, and then we like to have uh, singing meetings. But sometimes we need talking meetings, and sometimes we need spontaneous conversations about Jesus and trusting that those conversations uh, day by day, um, will will make us look more like him, and I gotta say, and and, and Kate, in the journey you, you've been on, not to pick on you, but I think you would agree, it's there is no quick fix here. But the church persists. We we so love quick fixes. We so love the microwave mentality. Right. We so love like just don't cuss, don't do tobacco, don't wear like an inappropriate, you know, revealing shirt, um, yeah. and like stay away from Game of Thrones, and you'll be okay but it's like, it's, it's so much deeper than that, isn't it? And it's, it's, it's a lifetime. And and I love what Chelsea said. It's the goodness of God and the long suffering, not the short suffering, the long suffering. And so mm-hmm. are we in this to be better as we age? Are we in this to become sweeter and kinder and more humble and listening and loving? And, or, or are we in this to look, um, pure and look mm-hmm. like moralist in our church? Um, that's, that's of no consequence in today's culture. No one cares. I don't know how to say this, but no one cares. And I told the, <laughs> church the other week, I said, virginity is not going to change the world. I'm sorry. It's not. I recommend it. I really do. Um, <laughs> but I recommend it. Um, but it's it's his goodness. It's his grace. It's his mercy. And guess what? In the area of our sexuality. What an opportunity to take such a, a heated category and give it to Jesus and say, changes, changes. And uh, we all have friends that have been so um, horrifically affected in this area that if we think a purity conference is going to heal them, we are most mistaken. It is going to take the goodness and long suffering of Jesus to heal them and make them whole. And may we not attach our ego to anyone's sexual journey, but may we mm-hmm. give it to God and trust that that He is faithful and true. And and uh, I got to admit, uh, our church has never been messier. Our mm-hmm. leadership yeah. has never come under such scrutiny. Mm-hmm. But the Holy Spirit is doing a work in all of our lives. My love for my wife, my love for my kids, my love for my friends, mm-hmm. is at a level we've never experienced before. But it's uh it's a lot messier over here in the Smith household and with our friends. But, uh, the mess seems to be indicative of the grace and mercy of God and and how he works.
2: Oh my gosh. In 2005, we would have had so many practical answers. (laughs) (laughs) You would have been like, do this and don't do that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, and you're right, this is messier, but I can't imagine any other way Mm. than follow Jesus, lean into his spirit, embrace the mystery. And, um, And he's so good and he's so loving and he's so powerful and nothing is too hard for him. And we can Mm -hmm. just lean into that and rest in that. And, for ourselves, so for our good. children, our kids are, are 18, 16, 14. So I mean, we're, you know, we're in it, not just for ourselves. You're in the
0: teenage years. You're like, this is there. They're experiencing this in full. They're like having crushes, having for boyfriends,
2: real. girlfriends, and maybe like, yeah. And we're like, look at Jesus. Keep, keep, keep leaning into him. Keep doing this. So this isn't just something nice. We're saying on a podcast. It's yeah. We're saying to our, to our kids every day. It's so
3: good. And that, and you, and you know, just from the way you guys talk about your ministry mm. 20 years ago, And how you're just so humble. Like, first of all, you know, we're wrapping up. And I just want to say the humility that you guys exude Mm. is not human humility. It's not you two sitting down together in the morning saying, Let's be so humble today. (laughs) Right. That's
0: gonna look good. Right. You know,
3: like this is gonna make us look good on this little dating podcast, right? It's it's godly humility. Mm. It's just an after effect of recognizing how truly we do stand in front of God. How much we've received from God, how much forgiveness has been extended in our life more than we could ever dream of, and how can we not extend the same to everyone else we meet? So, and the the godly humility as leaders to look back and saying, we just we massively messed up. (laughs) You know, I just want to say that for some people listening today is maybe the first time they would have heard that Mm. from a pastor and a leader. And Judah, you had a a series a couple years ago um it was i wish preachers would say this more right and it's that it's the same idea though so just the humility that you guys exuded in every answer i just want to say we're really grateful for uh and that's just indication of fruit Mm -hmm. and spirit at work long-suffering work over 20 years which i don't know you guys can clarify everything you described i'm like well that's just sanctification right it's just long-term suffering changing and transformation Under Mm -hmm. the authority of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, More like Jesus. It's painful, but it's beautiful. Exactly. And I love the long-term sustainable approach uh, because the fear, you know, it's just like sports. You have a coach who can get really effective results. I, you know, I'm a big sports guy. I had coaches who...
0: (laughs) Football junkie over here. Yeah, just... Like, I know you're a Seahawks people, but yeah,
3: and it's just the same thing, right? Do you, do you dictate out of authority and fear or do you dictate out of a, a love and passion? Um, and I think yeah. Pete Carroll is a great example of that obviously, but it's just how you <laughs> right motivate people to change and believe something. So I just want to say you guys have exuded so much humility mm-hmm. and kindness in every single answer pointing straight to Jesus. And we're just so grateful. Um, if there's I think this is fun. This is for the the Church Home crew uh and all the young adults I still know uh up there in Seattle and in LA now. If you guys had uh any dating advice for your singles and your your community and you know the West Coast and the greater community, what would be that piece of dating advice? That's like, that like our did?
0: final de- date negative dating advice in yeah. the Heart of Dating podcast.
1: Oh man, the first thing we'd say is it's been 23 years since we were dating guys. So, <laughs> exactly. I got to be a in fact, when we, when we, I mean, I, I I, know of you guys and have heard details, so I was excited to see, but I was like, if they want to talk about dating, we don't have a ton to say because we're not done. <laughs> we, we're waited. Not done. Um, we waited. We waited. I would just say, give yourself a lot of grace, man. Give yourself a lot of mercy and a lot of grace and just trust Jesus in the process. And nobody's going to do this perfect. These are humans trying to connect with humans. And yeah. this idea that this is sanitized and secure and safe, it's just a massive misnomer. And I got, you know, my buddy turned 39 last night and he's still single. And, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we are, one of our best friends is 40. She's single and it's, it's, it becomes increasingly more challenging and difficult and they're all very accomplished in their career. So I don't know, man, we, we don't know a lot, but I know that people are really hard on themselves in this area. And I, I, I think it's, um, it, it's not the way Jesus uh, treats them.
2: Okay, this will be my one opinion piece for this you. is great. I love it. I've been it.
3: waiting. Yeah.
2: <laughs> my one opinion piece is don't date for Instagram. Like, if you're yes. just to look good on Instagram or to put something out there for Instagram or like just don't date for Instagram, that would just be my one. That's my my opinion, has nothing to do with the Bible. My, <laughs> my middle aged woman opinion piece would be don't date for Instagram.
1: Uh, I and mean, Then I would just say date for the long term, too. Like, yes. this is an investment. People put in money in a bank because they're like, in 20 years, it's gonna be incredible. But people date people that look good now, but you gotta ask yourself. Are they going to look good in the long term? Because this is the ultimate long term investment. So I'm kind of over these dudes and gals who are like, oh, they're not my type. It's like, what? In 25 years, you can make them your type. (laughs) Like, come on. Oh,
0: man, you would. Uh, Yes, you guys, you don't even know what I go off on people about talking about type. I mean, (laughs) and JJ and I's whole story. When we met, JJ had blue hair. Okay, and he's five and a half years younger than me. He had the weirdest Seattle style. I was like, who is this Keeping dude? Weird, bro? Yeah. This <laughs> young guy, not my type. And people listening know that. And I'm like, well, I'm just, we'll see. I'll go on one date. We'll see what happens. Hey, we'll see what happens. Right. But Chelsea, I'll just add to your don't date for Instagram is like, Same, same. Don't date for TikTok. I see all these people are like, oh, we'll become TikTok famous. Let's let's do all these videos and document our dating journey. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the cringiest thing ever to me. And I'm sorry if you're listening to this and that's you. I just don't do it to Not, get
3: that's for our Instagram Gen, or TikTok that's famous. for the Gen Z kids listening <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> or like small audience of Gen Zers that do listen I know but guys thank you so much for today this has been so incredible so healing and um we're just so grateful for both of you and your humility truly it so
3: wonderful thank you guys
1: and love <laughs> you both keep yeah. up the good work and uh, I know this platform is only going to continue to grow
0: oh and we thanks, appreciate
1: guys.
3: it yeah
0: The Heart of Dating podcast is created by Kate Warman. It is a part of the Converge podcast network. Our incredible editor is the one and only Scott Caro. Our theme music was developed by the amazing Christian Ledoux. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, or if you've never written us a review or ranked us on iTunes, we'd encourage you to do so because it helps us so much to get this podcast into more people's ears. We launch our podcast each and every week on Wednesdays. So we'll see you next week.